This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Joyce Teo. Welcome to Health Check. We're in the midst of a Singapore-style lockdown called a circuit breaker. As the Singapore government has said that it is ready to relax some of its circuit breaker measures, many of us may be wondering when things will return to normal. So with us here today to discuss what the new normal might look like is Associate Professor Su Li Yang. He's the Program Leader of Infectious Diseases at the NUS Sosui Hawk School of Public Health. Hi Li Yang, welcome to the program. Hello Joyce. So can you tell us what we can expect once this circuit breaker period is over? So how is COVID-19 going to change the way we live, work and play? I think we are starting to see the first hints of that from what our own government is doing, as well as what's being done overseas. Mm-hmm. So it's quite clear that the circuit breaker or lockdown measures won't be relaxed all at once, but mm-hmm. instead we will take baby steps and gradual steps just to be sure that uh, things will be safe and that we can, again, impose smaller restrictions rather than have a big lockdown all over again. Mm, okay, so, so how will this look like like at work? It's already been, I think, um, announced by the task force that work will no longer be the same, that there will have to be physical distancing at work. Um, and probably those that can afford to do so will have more people working at home as well as a kind of team A or team B system. And for those workplaces where this is not possible, especially those in the service industry, mm-hmm. I expect that the measures will be much of an extension of what's been announced now, which is that the shops must not get too crowded and there probably will be a system for monitoring who goes to the shops, um, whether by QR codes or by some app or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Similar things are being done overseas as well, especially in the European countries that are starting to ease up on their restrictions. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, now when we go to the supermarket, we have to register. So that's going to stay for a while then? I'm afraid so, yes. <laughs> okay. And how long do you think we have to you know, make do with these changes and this kind of lifestyle? That's an interesting question and I don't have a good answer to that. Um, in a sense that I'm guessing like everyone else, but this will last at least until we have an effective vaccine that is available for virtually everyone. Right, okay. So, uh, so I think you're looking at at least a year or more and mm-hmm. probably even longer. Right, I see. So you mentioned the, you know, at the workplace, there's physical distancing, right? Um. You know, some offices, I mean, the the layout is already as such, so there needs to be changes, I guess. Do you foresee that? Like, you know, I'm, it's gonna I'm, change. Af- I'm afraid so, yes. So that's going to change the way we interact at work as well, where we go for lunch and hang out. I think this will be gradually eased. For example, in Hong Kong now, they allow up to eight people to congregate together. They will increase that number as time goes by and... Um, the local governments are more secure that they are able to quickly detect and clamp down on any new cases or clusters that emerge. What are some of the things that we can expect once this circuit breaker period is over? Like, you know, like for kids, can they go back to uh, going back to the amusement parks or the zoo? I think this will depend on how the number of 
cases in the community. How many cases there are in the community every day? Mm-hmm. I expect that we will still be actively trying to track down and detect the cases. So if it is anywhere under 10 cases a day, excluding what is happening in the foreign worker dormitories, for example, um, then I believe that the restrictions will be gradually eased. Mm-hmm. We will also be watching quite closely what is happening to countries like Hong Kong um, or territories like Hong Kong, South Korea, New Zealand and the European countries as they ease up. Because in right. some ways, what happens to them um, will help guide what we do. Like Hong Kong, I see, is opening up its cinemas and other leisure areas. And uh, if they are successful, then we may well follow suit, perhaps with some kind of uh, uh, physical distancing so that the seats become more spaced apart. You asked about children, which is a very interesting question. I think um, the current experience worldwide is that although children are vulnerable to infection, for some reason, they don't become very ill. And they also tend not to spread the virus to others the way that adults do. This has now been um, reported from different countries around the world. We don't understand the exact phenomenon. So it may well be that um, with children and schools opening and the distance between children, that is not going to be so critical as it is with um, adults. Right. In the Europe, I think in Europe or UK, there are some cases of uh, COVID-19 being linked to Kawasaki disease in children. That sounds serious. That's right. It's an, it's an atypical inflammation that looks like Kawasaki, but it's not exactly Kawasaki. <laughs> and what's been right. done now is that they actually have just seen a rise in these cases. But in many of these cases, mm-hmm. they have not tested them for COVID-19. So this is an association rather than direct causal links that COVID-19 can cause such a syndrome in children. And I think um, in Singapore, we have not seen a single such case yet. And we have to wait to see how the the science and the investigations develop. Right. Okay, so it sounds like the children can go back to some of the things that they like to do then. Visit the zoo, visit the, the parks. That's, yes. that's good news for them. Okay. I don't think it will be universal liberation, <laughs> but uh, certainly they can do more of that. Right. Because as you, as you probably realize, once we start relaxing the restrictions, including allowing schools to happen, there, there will almost inevitably be a rise in the number of cases mm-hmm. because the virus hasn't really disappeared entirely from mm-hmm. Singapore. It is still circulating around and the increased human interactions will lead to an increase in cases. It's how successfully we are at preventing the subsequent spread and detecting all the new cases that will matter. Right. So it's something we have to live with and be prepared for. That's right. Yes. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do check us out on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Press subscribe and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with Associate Professor Sue Lee Young, who's from the NUS Saucy Hawk School of Public Health. As you were saying, you know, the virus is still around. 
Uh, mm. It's going to take a while for a vaccine to be found. You know, how is it possible that we can get the cases down to zero anyway? Well, the the simple answer is to impose a lockdown the way China has or Italy's Lombardy, and and in a short period of time it will reach zero. But the pain of that is very great. Um, reaching zero doesn't mean that the virus has gone away entirely, because mm-hmm. we do have to open our borders in some respects at some point in time and that means we will still be vulnerable to importation of cases into singapore and subsequent spread Um, that's been clearly shown in china especially along its border with uh, russia Um, and even hong kong and places like uh, south korea are seeing importation of cases as well well so until a vaccine is found what are some of the things we have to give up we have already given up a lot of things, mm-hmm. <laughs> not as much as the people of Wuhan or Lombardy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that we have to give up things permanently, but rather our way of living has to change a little to factor mm-hmm. in the need for more physical distancing or safe distancing. So those people who like to eat out more, they mm-hmm. may find that um, perhaps. They have to order in their meals, mm-hmm. not all the time, but some of the time. Um, you have to cut down the visits to the amusement parks or find that so you can't go with a big group of friends anymore mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Right, so all the, the large events are going to be affected. Eh? Weddings, That's right. exhibitions. That's right. I think the ones that are going to be the most difficult to restart will be events like uh, concerts. Um, yeah, and those mega church events where thousand or more people gather together. Mm, okay, and weddings as well. Then that's right. Yes. Right, and it won't change permanently. You said, but at least for the next year and possibly two, right? I mean, permanence and forever are very long things. <laughs> even <Okay. laughs> even in, in even in Singapore, if I if I imagine if I recall what happened in my youth and my mm-hmm. parents, what happened in theirs, things have changed dramatically just over twenty years or so. So right. I think this just reinforces to us that um, there will always be change and sometimes that change is beyond our control, much as how this uh, virus has appeared out of the blue. Right. So the thing is to be positive. Embrace the changes yes. as we move forward. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. So what about um travel then? Can people start when when can people start to travel again? So travel is going to change greatly, I believe. Um suddenly people won't be able to travel as freely as they have done before. And probably not many people want to travel much given the uncertainty around the world. What we can see is that um, international travel is starting, but in a very limited and circumscribed way. For example, New Zealand has created this kind of a safe bubble with Australia, where the citizens and residents can travel back and forth between the two countries. And we are seeing the same thing starting to start up or being negotiated um, with other countries in Asia, like for example, Singapore and South Korea, Singapore and Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, Taiwan, Singapore, China, and, and things like that. 
the the tricky part is um how how do we make it safe for both sides because the the country receiving the travelers must feel assured that the persons coming in are relatively free of COVID nineteen and vice versa, and a lot of a lot of that is being discussed now, and things are likely to change. But people are talking about testing at the airports or testing before travels, uh, even having such a thing as a immunity passport, for instance. Yeah, all very tentative at this point in time, but certainly under discussions in many parts of the world. Right, but how much of a guarantee will the tests uh, give? So we'll have to do it, two tests, is it? It won't be 100%, but at least it will cut down the risks tremendously. I see. Interesting. So it looks like our the, the way we travel will have to change then for the next few years. Because Singaporeans love to travel out, right? Make short trips. That's right, certainly. And even when we're talking about short trips, I think the critical one will be um, traveling to Malaysia, particularly across mm-hmm. the causeway. Because mm-hmm. prior to this, like I think there are between 300 to 400,000 people who travel across the causeway every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, some way must be found to ensure that this is going to be safe for both Singapore and JP. Why? Okay, so those trips to get all the groceries and stuff, that's going to be affected for quite some time. <laughs> okay, so we're going to make, have to make changes in our lives for quite a while more. Thanks, Liam. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Joyce. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. We hope you liked this latest episode on COVID-19. Thanks for listening. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.